Hey everyone, welcome to the Party Chat People's Podcast. Hey. I'm Steve, joined by Zavi, Stacy, and Mikey. Did you forget our names? <laughs> no, I'm oh. just taking a moment to dramatic, dramatic, dramatic effect. I got you. It's kind of the I'm blinded by Captain my ring Kirk light. It hurts of... my eyes sometimes, so yeah. I close them. The Captain Kirk method. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And we're here to talk about video game things. Maybe. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Is it up in the air now? <laughs> Are we changing the focus of this podcast? No, no, no. I'm not relapsing. You're relapsing. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So I don't wait. Hold. Uh, I don't get that segment. <laughs> that segue. That was, video game relapse. Video game relapse. Video game, video game relapse. Um, two plus so, two got, is four minus one. That's three. Quick maths. Okay. <laughs> oh boy, it's going to be one of those days, folks. But we do have a lot to talk about, right? We Mikey? do. We do. Um, we're going to get started with Stacy. Stacy's been doing some research, as she does. <laughs> further games, research. Further research on games on mental health, which is quite a passion of hers, and we love to hear about the things that she finds out. How gaming, you know, delves into different industries and how they can help. Um, in different ways. Um, the first game is Suicide of Rachel Foster, then Town of Light, and finally she'll close us out with Fractured Minds. I'm going to the moon, uh, literally and figuratively, <laughs> in Pikmin 3 Deluxe, and I'm returning to Hot Pursuit for back when games were simpler, simpler. Simpler times. Three, so this is the other kind of relapsing. Uh, is, is in to old games. games. <laughs> Mikey relapsed into Hot Pursuit. I did. I did. Um, Steve relapsed to watch Doug's. Um, I didn't relapse to watch. That's a new. That's a new game. That's a new game. Yeah. Legion. Um, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch Doug's. Watch Doug's Legions. Oh, <laughs> uh, we forgot to subtitle it. Whoops. Yes, watch <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh huh. It's not a subtitle. It's a. It's a colon. Ah, uh, and Zabi got into Grand Blue, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. But he relapses with no. Steve relapses with WoW, and then Zabi relapses with Division Two, and the Summit is also a Zabi relapse. So uh, that's the <laughs> that's the most notable new thing in Division Two. I'll I'll get ah uh, Division Two the Summit. Okay, you know I think I missed it when you named what it was called, but that is no matter. Stacy, please tell us how we can get better mental health. With the side of Rachel Foster. Well, that's not going to help you. So, oh <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Is it going to help me be sad? Uh, hmm. So there are games on my list that will will do that. This is not one of them. But I did want to cover this in part because as we do this podcast, the election has just been called, which means some people have just gotten a horrible shock. Uh, the same way Democrats did four years ago, Republicans are maybe experiencing that now. Uh, and meanwhile, Democrats may have a very strong desire to kind of go woohoo, but um, having a little empathy for those who don't feel well is probably a good thing right now. So either way, having a moment to think about mental health, uh, times of change like this, is, is probably a good thing. We already have a pandemic, we have had a lot of uh, race issues this year. We have economic problems. And, Just to uh, interrupt you for one second. Yeah. I do have a serious problem with the people that are still like begrudging a lot of Trump supporters because 
if we're going to just discuss that really quickly, my thing is Joe Biden says it's time for unity. So let's focus on unity. Let's do. And, yeah, and, it's a way better engine than Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Good one. Um, Frostbite. So and my contribution to that is, is kind of this little thing here. So let's start with the not doing it correctly. So it's the suicide of Rachel Foster is meant to be a horror game. But I just don't want to give it a pass because it does deal with mental health. You have the option at the end of the game to either commit suicide or not. Um, And I don't want to spoil too much, but Rachel Foster is not the lead character of the game. She is a young girl who is said to have committed suicide uh, a generation ago. And our main character, Nicole, is returning to the hotel where she becomes increasingly aware that her own father had an affair with that 16-year-old girl back in the day, and her mother found out about it. So it's really dark, uh, and it has some good moments, and it is very much a walking simulator across with The Shining in a lot of ways. Um, It almost feels like they decided what game they wanted to make, and then they came up with a plot that would allow them to make it after the fact, Mm. right? Okay. So um, there's some problems with this, right? First of all, we're kind of talking about real mental health issues, for instance, child abuse and depression. And in the case of the main character, there may be repressed memories uh, or, or she's sort of an unreliable narrator of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other main character, this fellow she's talking to on the phone, Irving, is also an unreliable character for his own reasons. Um, but it commits a lot of the same sins that horror movies in general commit. It really. Yeah. I, I wanted to say real quick, like, it's not a shock to hear you like hear that it, to, to hear that it makes this mistake because it's so uh, endemic to horror as a genre. Um, and the movies have gotten a little bit better. It's like the original, um, the original Halloween is like, this motherfucker's just crazy. And there's this whole class of people out there that are just fucking crazy and they might stab you randomly. And and that's become like this huge, huge cultural meme. Because and it's almost like genre. they can't stop. They can't change because they're yeah. mentally disturbed because of something that happened to them in their past. Whereas nowadays, more modern horror movies, like my favorite recent one is Midsommar. They depict mental health as an utter tragedy, but also depict modernity as utterly like complicit in causing and 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 aggravating mental health situations and that's actually the horror is like modernity fucking sucks it makes your lives hard do you prefer a horror of like where theater of the mind provides the horror itself right so uh, we'll get to that more with with the other games where they actually do some of that but uh, this game it's does have a certain scary. amount of, it's, it's not jump scare, but it is definitely a slow burn. You know, things rattle, the house make, the place makes noises. You walk into a room that's a secret room and it's really creepy. Mm-hmm. So it creeps mm-hmm. you out. This oh, one, it does a good job so it's, it's of that. Pretty much but, just atmospheric walking simulator with horror elements kind of thing. Correct, yes. As far as just gameplay wise. Right. Not a whole lot of interaction with other people. It's mostly this discovery and uh, reliving of memories that are disturbing, right? Mm -hmm. So the biggest problem I have with this game, and it's a giant whopping one, 
is you can kind of tell the entire movie studio is run by men, even though there's like 90 people. They they must not have consulted any women at all about this because they never call it child abuse or rape or any of that. They say they were in love, this 16 year old girl and this guy three times her age who has a teenage daughter the same age as a girl he's abusing, right? It's never questioned that that is somehow okay. So it's trash framing. Trash framing. Is that something where like maybe it was a well-intentioned way of bringing uh uh, light to the subject but they were just not well informed i i don't know they it, did it. it feels very lolita right so like a bunch oh, of this girl's weird. stuff is in a secret <laughs> room in the basement oh like, god he's collected her retainer and and Ew. stuff it's, it's <laughs> weird well is that framed as <laughs> is that framed though as horrible or is it framed as like well i don't know why don't you let me hold on to your retainer and we'll see how creepy other people think it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'll hold on to your retainer, Steve. It's super messed up, right? Yeah, so uh, certainly Nicole, who's now a grown adult, is creeped out by it. And mm. there's a certain amount of like newspaper articles saying, ooh, it's such a scandal that this businessman of our local community has turned out to be fooling around on his wife, having an affair. But mm. it's not just an affair, man. That is like a serious breach of trust. The only reason the girl is there is because she has dyslexia and he's teaching her to read. So I, it just feels all kinds of wrong. <laughs> anyway, so that's how not to do it. And I don't care if it doesn't bill itself as a mental health game. It treats it every sort of wrong way as far it's as in I'm the concerned. title come on it's in the title and so where i got these originally is wired magazine now has a subdivision called wired productions and they sponsor the occasional game and here they bundled a bunch of games together and called them a mental health bundle so by putting this in that bundle as far as i'm concerned it's fair game to review it on wait, wait, wait 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 suicide of rachel foster is the game i sent you Oh, is that one you sent me? Yes. It's also in the That's bundle. Not, oh, it is also not, in the bundle? That's yes. hilarious. So anyway, enough of that. Um, let me show you a one that is, one that is better, that actually is what, what we say we want it to be. Um, so this next one is called The Town of Light. Uh, and this one is set in the 1940s in Tuscany, Italy. Uh, here we also have one that has a female protagonist who's walking around a creepy location uh, and, you know, trying to figure out what happened in the past. Uh, it's unclear whether it's her own past or someone else's past. Could you I get rid of the download too much. bar? <laughs> on the in bottom the, right. On the bo oh, sure. Sorry. There it is. Uh, okay. So in this case, she's walking around an abandoned mental hospital. Oh. Uh, and when you first come in, you can see that the hospitals won awards for being so kind to oh, people boy. who could not afford mental health care. But mm. as you learn more about the place, you find out it's very overcrowded. So they've had to resort to things like tying people to the beds um, because okay. they can't keep everyone safe. So um, the person we are learning about is also a teenage girl, also has experienced abuse by an older man who seems to have taken advantage of her because she didn't understand what was happening entirely. And by the time she finds out, she realizes that she is now being painted as the slut and the sinner and the problem. Uh, and this is specifically a, a mental health facility 
where women are, are in a different building from men. Um, and most of the women have crimes that are related to being female in some way or another. So you can see that the game kind of goes back and forth between these black and white kind of, you can see the slidey kind of motion. Sometimes the walls sway around a little bit. And these are sort of uh, relivings of the past. And they make an interesting use of the uncanny valley in that these, these people from these scenes are so creepy because they're not quite human enough. So they kind of take what should be a downside of these kind of uh, situations and almost turns it into an upside that the people caring for you seem unhuman as you kind oh. of relive these situations right huh. okay. so uh, and it's enough showing you the game for now I wanted to show a background um, that kind of goes into the sort of uh, issues that were treated and and here's where I want to say what I appreciate the most is they actually did their research uh, as to what facilities like this did back in the day? What treatments did they offer? What were the effects <laughs> of those treatments on people? Onanism. So these are, the, these are the things that require special severity and rigor. So they will do things like shoot you up with chemicals or use electroshock therapy or worst case scenario, perform a lobotomy on someone who is unable to be a natural mother or who masturbates too much or who is homosexual. Refusal of conjugal duties. That's right. literally what we now call marital rape. Right, oh. yes. And meanwhile, adultery is also against the rules. So we want women to have sex on demand, but only with the people they're supposed to, which is yep. really just one person for their entire life as far as this version of society is concerned. And it helps to know like this is taking place in I think, 1948. So this is not that long ago, Sounds it's right. a few yeah. generations ago. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, I had a. Women I had are going like to get a, the vote not too much longer than this. <laughs> right? I had like a seventy-year-old uh, teacher for sociology of gender, and she was so good at just like matter-of-factly stating stuff that regularly shocked everyone in the class. And it was just like, but I thought we were we were in America, but I thought we were like in a modern society, and we were over this stuff. And she's just like, no. No, we're not. Nope, no, we're not. <laughs> we're super not. Like, this yeah. is recent past shit. Yeah, so if if uh, you want to know how much it sucked having mental health issues or things that were diagnosed as mental health issues, even if they were not what we would call an issue now, what that was like, you know, several generations ago, mm -hmm. this will really step you through it to the point where you will feel like you're living it. Uh, oh, um, and it's it's not an easy game to go through. It's a short one. And is this one Town of Light or Fractured Minds? Uh, this one is Town of Light. And, and it's called that because this uh, girl we're finding out about suffers from terrible migraines. Uh, and she's not the only one in this facility. So it's like each person's brain is lighting mm. up. And so this hospital full of women that are being treated is like a little town of, of these lights of people that are experiencing these these terrible lights. Mm. So um, I, you know, thumbs up for this one, not an easy game to play, but if you compare Suicide of Rachel Foster, three hours, about 20 bucks to this game, two and a half hours, 15 bucks, mm. uh, I definitely take this one over the other one. Mm. 
so the last one that I want to discuss is what I call your honorable mention. Mm-hmm. And that's fractured minds. So it is helpful to explain, like, unlike the other two, which are all on major, all, on all major gaming platforms except mobile. Um, fractured minds is really just PC and Mac, which is not terrible, but you know, just to be aware that that's yeah. the case. Uh, so this one is made by a seventeen-year-old. I think that's important to point out. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, so a uh, British girl, Emily Mitchell, made this game. It'll only take you half an hour to play. And you can see she's comparing different states of mind. This one is the comfort zone where you're, you're happy and you feel at home and you feel safe. Uh, and she's describing that using interesting things like scales, uh, using keys to unlock other parts of her mind. Uh, and uh, using game mechanics to try and help you understand what it feels like. So this is paranoia. You can see how different this is from the last scene. It's bleak and gray, all the people around staring at their phones or cars whizzing by just don't seem to care at all about you. Uh, And there are some puzzle elements to this game. Oh, I love that the puzzle shows up in the paranoia section. That's that's very appropriate. <laughs> right. So, I mean, they all have puzzles to varying degrees because a game like this wants to gate each section so you experience some time in it. You have, you have to kind of feel it before you're able mm-hmm. to move on to the next part. Uh, in this case, they kind of force you to walk around amongst the crowd to find these symbols on their backs mm. uh, and collect the symbols in the right order to unchain the gate to go to the next area. Um, And then I wanted to go a little further in, go past some bits and kind of show you like the last section, which kind of feels like the inner mind. You can see the heart here Mm -hmm. and sort of the chained nature of it and the sort of fear and terror um, that she experiences. I get the feeling like this giant character here is something she made herself. Mm. Um, you can kind of feel the hand-drawn nature of it and the way it, it seems to mock you and appear and disappear as you yeah. to complete it's this puzzle. Slender Man vibes. <laughs> yeah. It's super creepy, right? <laughs> yeah. So it does a pretty decent job of putting you in her mind using game mechanics and you can almost see her kind of learning how to use the Unity engine and make this thing. So apparently it took her nine months to make. Uh, If you pay full price for it, it's two bucks, right? So (laughs) half the money will go to a mental health charity and half will fund her future career. Oh, wow. Very nice. That's nice. Yeah, so... It's very clean looking. Yeah, if you want to spend Minimalistic, probably by necessity, you know? Yeah, but it fits. But it works. But uh, she got a BAFTA award for that. Not bad for that age, man. And that's the kind of person I want to see in the industry, somebody who has something to share, who can be that voice that a developer needs, somebody like making the suicide of Rachel Foster, to go, yo, hold on a minute. That doesn't seem very realistic as to mental health and how it works. Or maybe you're not portraying women in the most accurate manner. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There you go. All right. So there you go. So there are three games. Uh, out of those two recommendations in one pass. 
but uh, you definitely have the opportunity if you want to spend a minute walking in somebody else's shoes or if some sort of catharsis of getting through somebody else's shit might help you get over your own. Mm. Well, while Stacy has been exploring the recesses of minds, Mikey has been going for the moonshot. The recesses of the moon. (laughs) (laughs) He's been traveling space. Sure, if that's what you want to call it. Um, So I have been playing Pikmin 3. Um, I beat it. It was cool. It was the campaign was quite short. Um, or as I, I think I've been saying to people, I haven't really played a Pikmin, so I, I don't know what the sense of a campaign is like for uh, the game. But um, it took about maybe 11 hours or so. And um, the, uh, con- the, the conceit for this entry is that, of course, uh, your planet, the Kopai planet is, you know, about to die or, <laughs> you know, lose it, all its food. So you as Captain Olimar, you go out and, and three other players, actually four, you go out to go searching for, you know, food and other things for your planet. And you land on the, I forgot what the name of it. It's like some weird numbered name, right? Uh, like P, PNF 404. And um, you land, but you actually, Captain Olimar actually goes missing. So you take uh, the lead as Alf, Brittany, and Charlie, the captain. So you start off as Alf and you get um, your Pikmin and there's basically four, about four or five levels. And each level is basically finding the missing uh, uh, spacemen. And once you get them, you kind of go to the next level. So the campaign is relatively short and simple in the sense that you get all three characters. Um, each level, you actually get a different type of Pikmin. So they have red, which is fire resistant, rock Pikmin, rock Pikmin who are harder, um, blue Pikmin who can go underwater, electric Pikmin that are electric, and flying Pikmin. And that's pretty much it. So once you get all the characters and all the Pikmin, then you kind of go back to the older levels and go, oh, you know, this thing where maybe I need a flying Pikmin or going underwater, I can use these, I can summon them now, and then I can go back to this level and get, you know, pieces of food that I didn't get. So it was relatively easy for me to go back and collect all of, because the the metric for, I guess, like beating every level is getting all of the fruits to turn into juice. So I went back and I collected all the fruits. Um, The game is charming since the Kopai, I I don't know if you got a sense for it, but that planet, they're actually microscopic. Pikmin is like, they're supposed to be very, very tiny. So they find fruits and they have all these weird names for them, like, you know, rugged, you know, Sasquatch and (laughs) um, (laughs) juicy, juicy pointed, you know, green thing or something. It'll be like an avocado (laughs) (laughs) or strawberry. Um, There's like a cell phone and it'll tell it like, you know, weird wired transistor. So it's fun. They play around with it. Um, But when this also in this game, they really focus on squads. So since you have three characters, you can separate your squad into three and, you know, separate them by Pikmin and sort of do things at the same time. I found that I didn't really necessarily need to do that. Also, I found the controls a little bit fiddly to deal with as far as like throwing a Pikmin aside, there was no way to, at least I, I, at least I don't know if I knew the, the, um, the buttons well, but there's no way to like separate off your Pikmin in a sense of like, hey, all the blue Pikmin here, all the red Pikmin here, and then you go with them. It's like, okay, throw Brittany over here and then switch to the blue ones and throw all the blue ones and then switch to her. I don't so, know if you can easily do it with with um, 
like how how to split it up into squads. But I know that in the past ones, maybe even in this one, there is a button to blow the whistle where the Pikmin will separate themselves by color. Maybe, yeah, maybe, and maybe I just missed that. Um, maybe I just missed that. But um, it. But again, it didn't really feel that long to where I was just like, oh, this is so annoying. Like you know, like I'm dealing with this. I, I kind of you know moved very quickly. There are two, three other modes that I haven't got in gotten into too much, and there's like a badge system as well. So there's a badge system of like, oh, collecting all the fruits in the campaign, doing this side quest, doing this, doing that. So I've started Alamar's campaign because you are searching for him during the main mission. So there's a side stories where it's like, well, here's what he was doing while you guys were, you know, completing the main campaign. Mm -hmm. So I've done those. And in those missions, though, you cannot um, grow any new Pikmin. You just have to, um, you find them out in the world and you pluck any that are randomly in the world and that's it. You have to basically manage like, okay, I need to send this fire Pikmin against this fire monster so I don't lose any fire Pikmin, you know, any regular Pikmin, because if they land, if any of the other Pikmin catch on fire, they pretty much die. So you have to be way more strategic about how you attack and how you collect things. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Um, it was a nice little trip. Like I said, it's kind of my real for, first foray, foray into Pikmin. I feel like I played it for GameCube. I like bought it and I wasn't, I had like just came back into gaming and I was just like, uh, I don't really get a sense for this game. And I kind of just never really played it. So coming back, you know, playing games a little bit more and like understanding where the, what the genre is. I was like, okay, it's kind of like a, a lemming survival lemmings, 3d lemmings. That's what I kind of ended off with, but yeah, that's it. Um, nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I kind of got into it before, you know, you know, next week is, you know, the week of we're going into the new generation. So along with that, I, another goodbye I'm having is with need for speed, hot pursuit remastered. And, um, this game was a favorite of mine back in 2010. Um, when, uh, arcade racers were, were, they were around they, I think we had a good selection of games that we can burn out. Yeah. Burnout blur split second. I think that's when dirt three came out and they were doing the Jim Connor thing. And, and mm. yeah, there were quite a few games that, you know, if you were into racing games and vroom vrooms, you, you were satisfied um but you know this last generation has been kind of sad in the sense of we haven't had like a lot of pick up and play racers um yeah i remember been so realistic that yeah. they feel more like microsoft flight simulator yeah well, well they've, they've been doing sim games. games they've been doing a lot of sim games um the only racer that i know that like got some buzz and was decent and, and you know decently reviewed was need for speed rivals and that was a launch game basically um, and that was it. I can't, I mean, anybody can correct me, but I can't remember another sort of like pick up and play racer. Um, I guess other than crash, uh, team racing, but, um, I don't know if, I think f what's the term fortune has fallen on that game because they sneaked in micro microtransactions. Ah, that blows. Yeah. Which was like such a shame because I, I, I played it for a bit and I was like, oh yeah, this is a very different, you know, game from Mario Kart. And it was interesting. And then um, I took a break from it and I read some report like, oh, microtransactions are in crash. And I'm like, wait, what? How? How do they do this? But that seems to be the new thing these days, <laughs> right? This commercial cracks me up because- <laughs> I have way too much information about the guys playing this game. It's yeah. a great ad. It really is a great ad. Cause like, yeah. 
that whole relationship like really does go back that like a full like 10 years of like hey remember when we used to play hot pursuit on the playstation and like obsess over who was doing the best and all that like i totally buy it it's a great ad yeah. <laughs> and it's I, definitely, hate, I hate saying uh, i hate complimenting ads <laughs> it's definitely pushing the nostalgia factor to the point where i wonder if people unfamiliar with this game are gonna well i feel ad, like really. this feel game and geometry war wars oh, two man. were kind they kind of reset the score based sort of chase and and mm -hmm. reignited competition in a way of like putting the leaderboards exactly on your your your, your net or or putting recommend so the auto log was like their big innovation back in 2010 where it's just like hey every event is going to have times when someone beats your times you're going to get a notification we're going to recommend mm -hmm. things for you we're going to tell you this and it really pushed competition i had a lot of european friends that were really into car games and it was such a fun time to like you know play a couple of games you know check back in well i played almost every day but just like and then see the message oh joe has beat your time like what by like you five seconds wait a second i did the best on that and then you go back and you do it over and over and you just try to achieve mastery and it was it was great i mean there's definitely some randomness to it there's traffic in the game there's powers in some of the modes and and you know sometimes there's some funny stuff but it's it's really a great game like we had a really good session last night with a couple of friends of just like breakneck racing like drifting all the not real racing oh stop it. <laughs> i was actually i was actually going to request that steve just just spend 20 seconds just dunking on this <laughs> <laughs> it's in our it's in our crazy it's, our, it's arcade racing to, you don't need to dunk on it it's very it's aware of what it is you know it's aware of what it is but it, it was just a great time like going online and sort of just racing and, and getting clean lines and and having a good time where you know there's a split of 0.2 seconds between you know uh, finish times or point three or someone crashes and you know somehow they make it up to the top and it just it creates a really fast really adrenaline pumping sort of game that like you really enjoy and and then like i said having that auto log recommends really pumps in the competition of like oh i did this event it was fun and then someone beats your time by like a good 20 seconds you're like whoa yeah that's like, a, that's a smart thing with the notifications because i definitely um in some games more than others but it's particularly like puzzle games that are based around like programming type tasks i yeah. will see i have a couple of programming friends on steam and i'll see them on the leaderboard and i'll just be like oh they did this with like three less instructions and i'll just be like there goes the next hour of my day. I'm going to oh, no. how to do this. Yeah, so I totally yeah. feel you on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. I mean, there's definitely some events that I keep from like more like time trial or preview events where it's literally just about perfection. Like I'm too sloppy of a driver to get that, but you know, sort of the parts with like a lot of mayhem and chaos or like duels or racing with cops, like, those are usually my jam and like I really get into those and like if I see someone beat my time I'm like oh no you didn't yeah the cop stuff back. was my favorite part of that back yeah I go back and I yeah uh, I actually like the racer stuff but I did the cop stuff because I was good at it and like I would get like these great times but I love being the racer just like evading the cops and sort of having that those types of powers of evasion and stuff so it was cool um it's I think it's 40 bucks um looks great uh it's is it available on everything or what it's available on oh thank you for reminding me it's crossplay. so the two friends i played with were both on pc they have the new system of the eaid or old system and it has like a two-letter moniker 
that I think it, I don't know if it randomizes or it gives it to you whatever Need for Speed game was out. So like my name is MW dash, you know, my gamer tag. Some people have like HP dash, some people have HT dash or huh. something. So mm-hmm. I get, mine means most wanted, I guess. HP means hot pursuit, HT means heat. So I, I have no idea how they chose what it is, but you just enter that in. There's like different lists. So it says like PSN list, EA list, and and then like add and whatever. And then and that's it. And you go from each list. If I was in a game and I invite, I go to the social tab and your, your start, the share button is the, excuse me, the select button is like your social button. And once you bring up that menu, all the social options are there. So it's really, really, really cool. And like, I can't wait for it to, you know, next week we'll have the PS5s. It'll load even quicker. It'll be a little bit snappier. I could probably play on quality mode with 60 frames and stuff. So we'll see. Or you could get a PC. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Shouldn't be necessary anyway. It works out. I go from two homes. So, you know, I'm not dragging a PC with me. (laughs) <laughs> you, you remind could. me <laughs> <laughs> you actually remind me reminded me that like racing games have really been at the forefront of like multiplayer features because if you remember burnout paradise was the first game to do like ridiculously seamless drop in drop out type multiplayer and in particular they had a whole social menu built into the game like yeah. those are things that are just bog standard now and they did it like a decade ago or some bullshit well like, here's what i'll say and this is I don't know if this is personal, but I think maybe a lot of people, racing game fans, will agree. I think that 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 movement actually ruined the racing genre because mm-hmm. there was this thing about being intentional about what, whether you wanted to be multiplayer or not. Like I played the Burnout Paradise, I played the Rivals, I played the Open World, where you drop in a random world and there's eight people, but those are eight people who either want to do their own thing or do their own specific thing. When you go into a matchmaking menu to race, yeah, I'm not even saying people that who race. So you know the multiplayer for those games, I think we're so severely hammered by like saying, "Here's the open world." You know, that's it. I remember playing Burnout Paradise, and I think they had you would go into rooms where they have like auto, um, like events, like every three minutes or something. And I remember a lot of people would just cancel out of them because, oh, I'm trying to get this billboard, or oh, I'm trying to beat this spot time, yep. and they're trying to do their own thing. So I do feel like having courses going into matchmaking you'll get the people that's it and then when yeah there definitely there are things about it that doesn't that not everyone loved and unless unless there's a way for them to do it unless it's like hey here's a room for this every minute there's a a thing and you know that's what it's going to be and then there's rooms of like just open world and do whatever you want we're not putting in the yeah yeah it should be opt-in it should be opt-in yeah but yeah speaking of games with random background multiplayer features that uh, hopefully opt in <laughs> steve random steve. background multiplayer features well they're not in are yet. hopefully opt-in they're, oh, they're not even in yet in legion no it's not in yet which is uh i don't know which i don't want to put it down because then i'm gonna run into yeah, probably don't need playing to other stuff that. you know mm. and <laughs> probably not I, i'm not trying to meet new people or anything like that so tell us about <laughs> about your resistance fighting days steve so i've been playing watchdogs legion uh which or legion legion watchdogs <laughs> legion uh which has been really fun to play uh in the sense of i didn't finish watchdogs one or two uh, just because they're games that I fell out of. I know a lot of people really liked Watch Dogs too, for what it was. Uh, so going into this, I was going in not expecting much, expecting just kind of your usual Ubisoft experience. Um, 
the main difference from this game is that there's no main player character. In a sense, it is DeadSec with a a leader trying to be built back up, but using existing NPCs in the world. Yes. And the existing NPCs in the world, if you scan them, all have perks, uh, like pros and cons to them. So you could get someone who has uh, a drinking problem <laughs> and, you know, has, has an effect from that. Uh, one of my favorites is flatulence, where you'll alert <laughs> nearby enemies. Um, you'll find I have that problem. <laughs> I have that problem. So I'll never be able to be as stealthy as I want to be. Uh, and then, you know, you kind of infiltrate these areas. And some areas actually have requirements for how you can enter them. So uh, an area like the one you see in the video now would be uh, Albion, the private security firm that's taken over London and protecting London, quote unquote, that you're rising up against. But you can recruit uh, NPCs that work. Well, I say NPCs, but they're actually become player characters when you recruit them. But you can recruit people that work at Albion. And then you can just walk in like nothing happened. And as long as you don't get too close to somebody, you know, you can just walk around and, and get everything done that you need to get done. Yeah, you got a company badge as long as they're not like, what are you doing in this building? Exactly. I don't remember you. Yeah, <laughs> if you get too close to them, they start being like, hmm. hmm. Which, having worked, having You're worked. supposed to be on Fifth Street. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. having, having worked for uh, tech companies where that is part of the security infrastructure, that is very accurate. So <laughs> what it does have is a badge, provide... no shit. Yeah. It provides this really interesting way to approach every single mission that I found. So in the beginning of the game, I was, you know, struggling to get through stuff because I didn't have access. And then you, they give you the construction worker who then you start having access to construction sites and you can walk around and do what you need to and bring in a construction drone that can carry you around and you can fly it all over the place. You could pick up stuff with it. And there's varying types of drones because this takes place like 20-ish years into the future, I think they say. So there's varying degrees of increased technology. You know, some people will come with their own very specific drones. Like mm -hmm. if you recruit a news anchor, they'll come with a news drone and you can take pictures with the camera. Oh, yeah. uh, so this guy has a spider drone, but somebody else will have a flying drone or something. Well, like that. the spider drone is actually a gadget you can unlock for everybody. So everyone has access to this specific drone, but the flying drones are the ones that have different abilities. Yeah. So but there's one with a, that's a parcel delivery drone and you can use it to pick up little items in the world that are like hidden away. Quick question on that. I've heard a lot of people say that they over rely on that drone just because they find traversal in the game world to be annoying. So that's what I was going to get to. Okay. Um, was the way I approached this game at first was I was like, oh, let me get a variety of everything I need. And then I fulfilled an entire district's um, needs to be, um, I forget the word they use for it, defiant, defiant, I think is the word. Yeah. So once you make a district defiant, you get a specialist operative who has uh, unique traits in a sense. So once I got the drone expert who has a flying drone and the spider bot, I have not used anybody else in the past like five hours of gameplay. So my approach has that always- That person can actually die, right? So they can, there's a permadeath mode where your characters can actually die. And then some of the characters in the game, if you're not playing on that, do come with a, like a, uh, a con to them that is oh this character has a potentially to permanently die hmm. so okay. th those things do come into effect and if you choose permadeath mode which is i i'm actually interested in maybe going back and replaying oh, really? in permadeath mode to see how that would affect things because then you'd want to be that much more careful 
You know my dumbass is going to start with that on. Well, oh, yeah, I know oh, for I know sure. You I, it, so yeah. I, I actually wouldn't do that because... So I also had some brief time with the game. I didn't enjoy it as much as you, Steve. I'm actually going to wait till it just transfers over to the next-gen consoles and maybe do a co-op. But I found it was a little janky in bits. At a certain, like twice now, two of my characters have like sort of randomly fallen off and like I've just died. And I'm just like, well, if this was like a permadeath mode, they just would have died by like accident. And I'm just like, it has that open world jank that I think that yes. would just annoy me. So um, what I what I... I, I actually am going to touch on that um, briefly because, like I was saying, I, I spend all my time using the spider drone for every single mission now, mm-hmm. just because it's so easy for it to, it has an active cloak on it. So if it's just sitting somewhere not in use, the cloak is there. So if an enemy spots you, you just back out of the drone and then they don't see it. So it's just, everything's fine. Yeah. So I've, I've come to an over-reliance on the spider drone and because it can take down enemies, it can physically hack objects that need to be physically hacked. I just rely on that now because then what happens is they find the, the spider drone, they, uh, they destroy it. And then I just wait for them to reset essentially. Yeah. So there's no, like, there's no danger to the character in the sense, yeah. which yeah. watchdogs two didn't have because the drone you use was purely for surveillance. Yeah, that's kind of a foundational problem. Like, yes, it's what I've from what I've heard about this game, it is playing around with some interesting ideas that I want to have an informed opinion about, but not for sixty dollars, and it just suffers from like design issues that have been solved since at least Phantom Pain, um, if not earlier. In terms of like, there's stuff that you have to be very clear about that are. Um, you know, that can't be overpowered like the spider bot because right. uh, we're human beings and we're good at, you know, searching the problem space of a game and finding a quickly dominating strategy and just doing that to yeah. the point where we bore ourselves. Right. Yeah. So I find that like one of the things I'll do every mission and I can, I've been repeating this, I want to say for the last five, 10 missions that I've done. Granted, I don't know how far into the game I actually am, but the last five, 10 missions, all I do is I show up at the place I need to be. I do all my surveillance by hijacking the security cameras, which you do normally anyway, and then send, finding where to send my spider drone into the building for it to accomplish everything. And because it can take down enemies if you take them down stealthily, and with the upgrade that hides the enemy bodies, like yeah. those two things alone have just made the game a little too easy. Yeah. Which mm. is where I'm in the in this headspace of like maybe I should try it with the the uh the permadeath do you find the loop you just described fun though i'm enjoying it uh probably because i skipped out on a lot of watchdogs one and two Mm. and for me it's kind of like because this game is also a ubisoft game so it has the jank of ubisoft games and the kind of similar gameplay list you know (laughs) yeah here's discover the area do all the things in the area, get a reward, missions, yeah. collectibles, right? It's got, it's got Ubisoft written all over it. <laughs> so I haven't been too keen on Ubisoft games lately. So I don't know if it was just a timing thing where it's like, oh, well, this fits right into yeah. while I wait for other games to come out. Yeah. Uh, so well, Hal is out, right? Or and all the, out this week? I don't know. This week, I think. And then all the missions have been pretty bite-sized. So nothing feels overwhelming as far as mission structure. Yeah. And the fast travel, you know, speeds up a lot of it. It yeah. doesn't feel like a lot of busy work in any of your missions. Yeah, you, okay. can, you can fast travel to any subway station. So it's, it's pretty cool. 
Yeah. I mean, my my the the main reason why I stopped playing Steve is that I just you know I was a huge fan of Watch Dogs, a huge fan. I thought yes, I know you were. Direction they went in was like a really good direction of just like let's make this like a satire, sort of like making fun of Silicon Valley and tech bros and have like this like 1995 hackers vibe and it was just cool like a lot a lot of the characters are memorable memorable you can do co-op for a lot of this the single player i played most of it with a friend of ours and it just seemed really focused and this one it's like you're just random people like there's no connection yeah, there's no yeah and I, it's I, funny the this mechanic that was supposed to be like now we're making the universal game where you can be anybody you want it just ends up feeling like a bunch of nondescript hats they put yes. on, right? And in particular, because they don't interact with each other, it doesn't like one thing that was fun in Watch Dogs 2 that it sounds like this game doesn't have is like the home base that you go to and you yeah. get to dick around with your friends. Yeah. And I think they just needed to take a page from State of Decay because in State of Decay, you have your home base where all of your procedural characters with different voices and different clothing hang out and get into fights and potentially try to like kick each other out of the community because like they're assholes to each other. And that creates a sense that you're playing as not one character, but a community of people. And that makes for interesting storytelling. It sounds like Watchdog Legion, on the other hand, is just like paying a certain lip service to you're playing as a movement and it's like yeah but i like this guy so i'm going to stick with him the whole time yeah well even if they only have you recruit one person in each area like you yeah you switch that area then you get that one special character and if you do that several yeah. times now they have a character base they can yeah. give each of those characters a unique personality so a think, voice actor and do something with that yeah right? and i think that that the kind of thing that comes down to at least for me is that the randomness of the characters right so you would get a different drone expert than i get um, yeah, that from was a, a visual mistake, standpoint and from a you know character standpoint and like vocal voice and stuff like that yeah because then you have to record the same voice lines with several different people right and it it takes away your ability to give that character a unique voice like this guy curses a lot that that lady uses very proper english and and you could have the same scene and have it play out a little differently yeah but that like that's a lot more work it, it, it is, but the thing is, they went through that work both in Watchdog Legions and in the two State of Decay games. And the difference is that in State of Decay, I get the feeling, and it sounds like I might not from Watchdog Legions. In State of Decay, it doesn't matter that it's procedurally generated because a particular voice actor is my version of this character and you, that voice for you would be some other character that has different traits so what... as long as it feels personal as long as it feels like you're playing as a community of varied people then you've got that you've achieved that feeling it doesn't matter that our voices don't match up so as we were saying <laughs> um it's just watchdogs has this ubisoft kind of feel to it one of those things is lack of polish because there are some very buggy moments in the game and that seems a lot of it comes to do with um traversal specifically like the parkour stuff or standing on an object or climbing onto objects like those things feel really like not refined as they should be for a system they've been using for years at this point I i have those kind of issues with it and the fact that it just feels like a slightly 
toned down version of the usual Ubisoft experience. Yeah. So you don't have to technically climb a tower to get to see where everything is. You just kind of have to uncover the map, but then you just see where everything is. And here's all these little collectibles that are like text and stuff. Yeah. Here's some audio logs. Here's your tech points, which is what you're going to use to unlock your tech further. And you recruit anybody, you know, off the, off the ground. And I don't know. It just, it's not amazing. It doesn't feel amazing. <laughs> Long endorsement. But it feels, feels like, it it's feels not back, at a, back at a box quote. It's par, not par for the course for a Ubisoft game and exactly what I expect from them. <laughs> um, but I did, I will say this, that just before we started recording and we got on this call, I was playing one mission there in the mm -hmm. game, one of the main missions, and it was extremely disturbing. Like in an interesting way. Yeah, in a technologically, gotcha. technological advancement kind of way. Mm, okay. So I don't know if you guys plan on playing it. If you do, maybe I'll get around to it at some point in discussing that particular mission because I, I do, just not terrifying. for 60 bucks because what I've heard that makes it worth some money to me is that the story goes interesting places. And that, like, that gives me the vibe that someone, that, that someone at the team for, for this game wants to tell a particular story. And so long as they're pumping out games for Ubisoft, they're going to be forced to fit a certain mold. We'll see mm -hmm. if, like, the oust of the dude for being a butthole is going to, like, really change yeah. the creative output. Yeah. Right. Because hopefully, not just for them, but also for Massive Entertainment, the developers of Division, I think that that is also true. So so what I think would have actually done better for me in this game is if they actually did have a main character. Someone to be, like... It. Yeah. Because right now, it's just, I'm only going to play the characters that have the best perks and, yeah. and, and fit the mission the best. Right, and then a lot of their visuals don't line up with like the ca how a character would look in the cutscene. So for me, it's just like you could have had one person there, and maybe just they get used for specific missions, like main storyline missions or something like that. Because some of it just is so off-putting when like you have like an eighty-year-old lady <laughs> like interrogating a guy. You know, it's nah, just... man, that's gonna be me the whole <laughs> the whole canonical run for me is just gonna be grandma. <laughs> fucking shit up that's, you're gonna have that's you should, you should saying, have an entire though, team of old like people. you can't just generic everything i i feel like that ends up not feeling genuine and you know there's no you know? real like visual change to the characters like faces and, and stuff. it, and it takes so much of the fun out of games that are supposed to be about mm. society right sure you know? i think that like even metal gear did a better job here though because in Phantom pain you can play a snake obviously you can also play as any soldier that you have recruited, and they all have little intricacies. Towards the end of the game, the soldiers you recruit on a purely attribute-based system are better than Snake, so there's an incentive to do that. Right. And then they also each have like unique little skills. And while all of that is true and makes for little experiments that you can do, the baseline game is still consistent and consistently fun. Um, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of my lack of connection to the story is the fact that I have to use these characters that I really don't actually yeah, care for. Identify with. But oh, one last interesting note is the way the game 
keeps track of how characters are related. Mm. Uh, so it has kind of like this quasi-nemesis system-ish to it, like uh, Shadow of War used, yeah. where like if I remember one of my operatives ran over somebody and sent them to the hospital. So they came back at some point, I ran across them, and they bear a grudge. So they're like walking up to me, trying to fight me. And um, you can actually end up recruiting them. It just becomes a much more difficult task. That sounds and You fun. have to do extra, like you have to jump through additional hoops to get them into your team. That sounds like the most New York shit I've ever, like I know it's London, <laughs> but like that sounds like the most New York shit I've ever heard is some dude just going like, hey, yo, yo. You read over me. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> the system, that's really cool. Yeah, I've heard that's a really important system. Like, you know, you can quick scan people. It'll actually say like, oh, this, their brother is actually in dead sec already. Like it'll yeah. be like random Albion person. Yeah. And it's like, oh, he'll be easier to recruit because his brother's apart or maybe like reveal it to them. It's, it's cool the way the system is, like the, the random information they'll pop in mm. in like the quick scans of people. But yeah. then like Steve was saying, when it's time to actual interact, it's just like, no, we're just collecting Pokemon. That's it. Yeah, it's, that's all it feels like in <laughs> yeah. the end. Yeah. It's just like, you know, at this point, I don't look at any character that has- Grandma, I choose you. I don't look yeah, at any character that doesn't have... generated text does not make for a unique character. Yeah, if they do, if they have less than two perks, I'm not even going to bother. Yeah, that's the other that. thing is I, it makes me think of XCOM because one of the things I love about XCOM is like the attachment you have to the characters, right. and and part of that is not purely the strengths of the character it's also the weaknesses and in XCOM it's just because you have to specialize people so right. it's like oh if I had done this then maybe they would have lived or whatever but in something like a state of decay and maybe potentially something like Watchdog Legions it's actually better to make them interesting by giving them weaknesses I think that right. might have I've, I've heard people maybe say, maybe it would have been more interesting if there was a progression to how each character went like if they started mm -hmm. off with just kind of like baseline stuff but then as they mm -hmm. advanced and did more missions in DeadSec you unlocked more for them Right. Or different well, paths or something, something along those lines that made them more interesting and less like, well, I have that one, so I don't want that one. Uh, I have right. that, don't need that. And I've unlocked specialists in all the boroughs already, so I really don't need much. Right. In the way of or make every, every borough like you, your, your normal people, regular people in the game. And, and once you beat that district, you get that operative that, okay, fine, I won't play with these people anymore. We'll write them out of the story in some specific way. And you focus on the guy that or girl who has it's tricky because it's you like you have to make them not feel like pokemon that is the right yeah. analogy because um and state of decay is the closest i know to something that has achieved that effect where it's like oh, i actually give a shit about this person not purely the mechanics of what they allow me to do um because no it's been a pain. that's part of the joke is that you're kidnapping soldiers off the streets and then putting them in a fucking cage until they join your private military army. Right. You're the villain. Like and there's, in this game, you're supposed to be in, in watchdogs. There's no reason to care for a character before you recruit them. There's nothing that yeah. like brings that character into something that meaningful other to than you. Skills. Okay. Yeah. Well, other than right. saying, well, Nobody did says... I collect this skill already? Yeah. yeah, nobody says, hey, could you go get this guy on this street because he's special. He can do this thing that other people can't do. But, but that would run counter to the themes, right? Like, it isn't supposed to be about recruiting the super smart people in order to, like, defeat the fascist uh, authoritarian regime. It's supposed to be about the city of London. Right. right. It's we the people defeating the system. But I it's, get not, the idea. it's not we the people. It's 
uh, the people that I one, like with the that best one special skills. dude that I like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah see, there you it's go. The one so special it's guy that I like kind of trying to tread this line because I he mean, has a flying drone that he can summon all the time. He has the spider bot, yeah. so I'd never need to go inside of a place. When I when <laughs> I play basically the game, you're trying it, to recruit a bunch of Batmans. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. When I, I just need as many drones as possible. That's all. When I play the game on permadeath mode, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> well, I think we'll get back to it, but in the meantime, I think we can move on to uh, a friend. Uh, well, not a franchise, but a. A genre I really don't care for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I have this been playing. I've been playing uh, a game that was recommended to me by uh, Joe, friend of the podcast, quite a while ago. Even though he didn't really care for the game, because he's a bit more hardcore into fighting games. I've been playing Fantasy yeah. Strike for the last year, and I've loved it in terms of having a game that is minimalistic in its design and really brings it back to this core question of like the tactics. What are the actual like tactical choices that you're making to jump or not to jump, to block or not to block, to throw or not to throw. Yeah, and you've gotten pretty good at that one. You have like yeah. a number, your number, whatever. Yeah. I'm in like the top 300. So yeah. like, and it's, you know, it's a small community for Fantasy Strike, so it's not like it's that huge of a deal, but uh, I've played that a lot. I still enjoy playing that. But uh, off of Joe's recommendation, off of some of what I've tried in other games, like the Power Rangers fighting game and stuff, I was like, let me give this game a shot. In particular, because this game has some accessibility stuff that is really nice, that's really forgiving, that makes it so that anyone can really play this. And also because it has a strong single player mode. So the first time that I jumped into this, I actually just started playing the RPG mode. And unfortunately, it's very easy-ish um and and what i mean by that is that it didn't hook me off the bat i didn't actually play through until the first like fight against another real character instead it just plays like a beat-em-up game and since it's early on in an rpg in a jrpg specifically it's easy as fuck so it didn't really hook me then i went back into the game and instead of going to the rpg mode i went straight into the challenge mode and i started learning about how this game works because the early rpg stuff tries to hook you with the story and it's like japanese fantasy it's a little bit typical it's not it's grabbing me immediately feeling. so yeah. then i go into the the uh, challenge mode, it's like, okay, what are these mechanics? How do they work? There's single button presses for every single type of special move that a character has, but also a command input version, which uh, the command input version has a faster cooldown. The difference is really like probably like measured on fractions of seconds, but at high level play, that shit matters. But it also means that you have fairly easy ways to get out of situations if you can actually internalize the fundamentals, such as blocking high versus blocking low, dodging versus blocking, uh, dodging into a throw maybe. So mm -hmm. in terms of complexity, this is, you know, an order or two above Fantasy Strike. You have more options in that flowchart but they're not actually hard to do per se. And that makes it very different. I did some online matchmaking. I'm enjoying myself. Um, mm. Even though when I get matched with someone who's like a full rank above me, I get my ass whooped. I'm not usually stuck in a corner in a 50 hit combo. That can happen with players who are way better than me, but it's less likely when I know my character and I know how to avoid that. And because they have this dodge mechanic where you can dodge into the opponent, if they're like 
trying to just get you in a corner and just juggle you like crazy. You can actually dodge into them and now they're in the corner. Um, mm. Little things like this that you can learn if you've played enough games and you can deal with the controls that, and, and you go through the challenge modes that are in the game. It's like, okay, that's how I'll get out of that. Um, this has like the best tutorialization stuff I think I've ever seen. You're mm. able to, um, do these little challenges that are very specific, such as like, here's a character, here's their bread and butter move. The CPU is just going to spam the shit out of it. You have to get in on them and then actually like finish them off. And the way you do that is going to be different for every character. But then there's also like the objectives of don't take damage or do this much damage as a counter to their thing. And it makes it so that you can really, really workshop certain things as opposed to a lot of games like street fighter and other things where it's just like here's training mode there's a dummy character do whatever you want we're not going to teach you shit right yeah so it doesn't do yeah. stuff like uh go frame by frame to explain what characters moves are faster or blockable or no but it does put you in enough like objective mission-based systems where you can start to feel that stuff out and there's hints that tell you about that stuff a little bit like hey if you delay the input for the second attack here a little bit you should be able to like get a nice combo here or something like that so it tries to show you by you experiencing it and by giving you little hints instead of yeah. just laying it out in math and then that feeds back into mm -hmm. the rpg mode because after I did that a little bit and I did some playing with people online and I convinced myself that this was something I was interested in uh, getting good at, I headed back into the RPG mode, reached a point in the story where I was like, okay, this is a little bit interesting because a character that was, uh, you know, evil was actually kind of like brainwashed and written kind of interestingly. And then you go on this adventure of going to these various islands in your airship and uh, recruiting the old gang is basically like the feel of it. And that's where you pick up more characters that you can play as instead of the main one who's kind of generic anime protagonist man. <laughs> and you're able to like choose a character that you want choose an assist character that's CPU controlled, you have loadouts, you have items, you have um, the different skills that you can do to like heal yourself. And it's basically a beat-em-up game in that context rather than a traditional fighter until you reach what they call the raid battles, which is just battles against actual characters in the fighting game. And they have a stupid amount of health usually, but then there's also unique characters too that are also raid battles that are just like your typical kind of bosses in your arcade mode for a fighting game. Ex like just huge guys who are like super overpowered and stuff and have a stupid amount of health but you're taking them on with the help of an assisted character and you're trying to get these it really feels more like a beat-em-up so it's so, this really smart genre marriage there yeah so it feels like you can treat this either as a single player side scroller with a plot or as purely a, a fighting game that's competitive in nature and they genuinely feed into each other because when what you're when you're doing the beat em up and you're learning like oh this combos into that in a safe place because failing a mission is pretty fucking hard but you dick around with a character and you go oh okay i'm able to do that and link that into the super and stuff then you might go let me try to do that against an actual human being and see how that works out so 
this is a, a solid step up from Fantasy Strike in terms of complexity without introducing too much of an execution barrier with like the command inputs and having a very solid foundation of actual like training mode and mission mode and all these different things for you to actually get good at the fucking game rather than having to deal with an irritating community <laughs> of so, people who and are just Joe's like get knock good. on this game was what it was too easy um, I don't know. I think it was a bit more of a feel thing for him, if I recall correctly. Uh, it's just not his type of fighter. Um, really and I don't not. know precisely why. It might actually just be an aesthetic thing. I think that the 2D art is beautiful. I think that it's intentionally not like 100% fluid animation because the stops in the animation and the frame rate of the actual characters give you clues about the rhythm and how to like hit confirm from one move to another that if you had a fully fluid 3D animation thing like a Street Fighter V, it just would feel different. I don't know he, better he or worse. He worries about things like uh, character balance and mm -hmm. about uh, handling network issues, <laughs> stuff like that. Right. Uh, that might be hard to suss out as, as an early player. And I don't know that I'll ever like be able to suss out like, oh, this network code isn't perfect because I wasn't able to do the one frame link because I don't care about that kind of stuff at all. But um, the network battles that I had with people felt fine when I was matched with someone around my rank. We had a good match. When I was ranked with someone who was above my rank, they whooped my ass. When I was ranked well, one time, right. when I was ranked one time with someone who was below my rank, I kind of whipped their ass. It's it's just typical fighting game stuff. Um, so to, so I don't know if the network code is is significant in any real way. And then character balance, I don't know. There's like a bunch of characters and I'm trying to learn like two of them. I'm just having fun right now. And, you know, particularly since it's with a story that is decent and provides a bit of a comfortable space to train. It's just a solid design. There's things about this game and probably the anime fighters more generally that need to actually like steal from this. The mm. Street Fighter needs to have as good of a mission mode as this, for example. So uh, but that's it for me on, on Grand Blue. I'm happy to have found the next fighter in terms of complexity level that I'm actually enjoying. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Cool. Yep. So meanwhile, we were talking earlier about relapsing, relapsing. to yeah. old games. <laughs> Which Who wants two to go of us first on this that week? One? Well, mm. I think it's the two of us that are that our heads are in the stars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I've relapsed into uh, World of Warcraft, which has an expansion coming the end of this month, because all the November 10th stuff has now been shifted around in the way of cyberpunk and <laughs> World of Warcraft and Destiny. I can't remember what's what. So the, the trailer I had says 1027, but it's actually now November 23rd uh, for the Shadowlands expansion, which takes us into the afterlife and the different parts of the afterlife in World of Warcraft, which oh boy. should be interesting because I think they're just running out of stuff to do in <laughs> yeah. the actual yeah, game they, world. They've expanded the continents. <laughs> they've had the world break apart. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about stuff in, on other worlds. No, we've just given up this, this is, afterlife now. This is narrative spectacle creep. We're, yeah, we're going to so have World of Warcraft heaven and World of Warcraft hell. What they did is uh, in the pre-patch <laughs> up to this, now the new level cap is 50 and will be 60 in this expansion. Hmm. So they've crunched all the numbers back down. So the level cap was, up until a couple weeks ago, was 120. 
Yeah, it was getting out of control. It was getting out of All control. All of the numbers so were getting out of control. They <laughs> capped, they crushed it back down to Good. 50. And now you're going to level cap at 60 in Shadowlands. Right. Um, so I got back into it and I've been doing a lot of the, uh, the single player content, like the stuff you can do by yourself, the solo content, essentially. Um, just trying to, you know, build my character back up and getting back into it. And I actually started going back recently and doing the old raids mm-hmm. and the old dungeons where you can kind of farm different mounts and stuff. Yeah. And I realized that going back, there was some nostalgia factor to doing the raids that I already done when they were current. Yep. Uh, and I kind of missed doing those. But as I got further and further in content, just for the sake of collecting stuff, I was like, hmm, I don't really miss this because it was a lot of work. <laughs> and I just think of how yeah, much time we spent, yeah. you know, at different encounters talking about strategy. And, and it's sure. kind of the same way the Destiny raids work. You know, a lot of time just spent sitting there and thinking out the best way to go about something and approach it. Yeah. And I, I yeah. kind of miss collaboration of big scale. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to have to deal with people that much anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I used to run a World of Warcraft guild back in the day when it was new and raids had as many as 40 people in them. Um, it's a lot. And they, by the time I finish, you could run a raid with 20. Now you're, you're less. Yeah. Uh, and you can do it on a more casual <laughs> mode. So they've made improvements where that goes. But I'll be honest, I'm a little afraid to play the game again. Because if I'm tempted to try the raids, it might start all over again, and it's a place I don't want to go. You're so the, interesting, the interesting thing about the raids now is they're actually way more accessible because they have a raid finder. So yeah. now you have three different difficulties on raids. You have the raid finder version, which is the easiest because it involves just queuing for a raid and getting assembled with a random group of people for an easier version of the raid, but you still get at least a decent high-end endgame loot from it. Then you have the normal version where you take anywhere from 10 to 25 people in and the rated difficulty adjusts. And then you have the mythic difficulty, which is essentially the new heroic difficulty. The, the same as it was back then. So in the yeah, so that part hard. is still there for the very hardcore players. And then if you're just looking to get into a group, but then the yeah, I mean, back in the day, the same... maybe 1% at most of the players could play the raids. Right. So now, so now it's much more accessible. Yeah, but it doesn't. It hasn't stopped people from trying to be elitist about it. Where if you end up in a raid find group, it's if you don't know it or if you wipe once, everybody leaves. So it's like this kind of real difficult way of approaching raids, and I haven't tried them as of yet. I may or may not try it in the future. Uh, this might just be something to go through the motions while I'm trying to like watch a TV show or you know just trying to yeah. find the something. Single player is probably still a nice grind. It is, yeah. It's still enjoyable, and they always they're always adding new content and interesting content, and it, it doesn't stop you from getting in game gear anymore. So, you know, it's it's something fun to spend time doing, and mostly I've done it for the nostalgia factor of going back to the old raids and trying to get the stuff that I never got before for like you know transmog and and mount <laughs> collecting and things of that nature. It's yep. A true relapse. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Nostalgia. It really is. And oh, it yeah. just happened. I I don't even know what caused me to do it. I think the Battle.net launcher launched when I opened up the PC and I was just like, ah, you know what? <laughs> Let's, I play this I Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Zoe, you've been playing your own relapse game. Yeah. Yes, I have. I've been playing uh, a game where I was able to take this. Oh, wait. I got a, this photo. Uh, because it is me rebuilding society after the apocalypse, including giving kids a game room. 
Um, I love that. That you, That's am, one of the treats. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, and speaking, of course, of The Division 2, um, I hadn't played it in a long time. I actually played the expansion using a Uplay Plus subscription, which I decided to do just so that I could also check out. That was um, Warlords of New York, right? Yes, Warlords okay. of New York. So uh, this that we're watching right here, this trailer is for the new mode that they're, they've put out with the season three content is what we're up to. I skipped all of season two, um, largely because I was annoyed at Ubisoft and I didn't want to give them any money. But I had let the Ubisoft, uh, the Uplay Plus subscription expire because uh, I was done really at, like exploring Ghost Point and, and all these other games. Um, so I was like, do I want to actually spend 30 bucks to just have the expansion so that it'll be one of my forever games? So I started poking my head back into the game and finally I bought it. Uh, the expansion and I'm happy I did because uh, this mode in particular is fucking cool. It is the procedurally generated arcade mode that everyone like didn't realize they, they needed. Right. Um, the, the, the in universe conceit is that there is a skyscraper that you need to clear. And so there's a hundred floors that you oh, need. Wow. To clear. wow in this skyscraper so, so this i'm up to like 12. <laughs> so this is kind of like just uh the rifts that they added in diablo 3 where it's just randomly generated a map threw a whole bunch of mishmash of enemies in there and it just kind of keeps going 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 kind of and so there's a bunch of things that they did that made this just the hub for just arcade let's play let's have a challenge let's grind gear like just central right for starters at this point in any one of these live service games if you've been playing consistently you know every mission by heart. It's right. not really interesting anymore. You know that when you play it on this difficulty, it's going to get tricky here. You know that when you get to this boss, you're going to need someone to rock this skill in order to deal with their abilities. You've you know the nuances know, of every mission. Yeah, and, and, and at some point, that's just going to get boring. Yeah. Procedural generation is the answer to that. And, and in this mode, you don't know what you're getting on any floor. So you enter a floor and you're just like, all right, let's see what's up. Oh, there's a hostage. Okay, I need to like keep that hostage secure. So I'm going to let them come to me and pull my shield up. Uh, the next, you know, the next floor, it's going to be there's a little like uh, chest that just spits out hacked shade tech. So like enemy turrets, enemy drones, enemy flamethrowers are just going to pop out if you don't hurry up and hack this thing to get it back by being close to it, which means that tactically you have to hold down this position and you have to play defense now. Then there's going to be the next floor, regular normal encounter. It's just going to be a bunch of lieutenants. So now it's just like a high intensity firefight over a certain kind of battle so arena. Does it get harder as you go up or it's just a bunch of same so, it gets harder and then gets easier. So they're really trying mm -hmm. to do the ups and downs kind of do thing. Waves. Yeah. You get checkpoints every three floors. So if you clear two floors and then die, you're going to have to do those two floors again. So that's the, there's a I'm constant short-term goal slash risk of right. making some progress. Mm -hmm. And yeah. every once in a while, there's a boss floor where a named enemy is going to show up and they're going to have better skills than what you're used to. And you have to hunker down and like treat that seriously. Uh, 
and then there's various rewards for various points along the way. Every week, there's going to be a project of getting through 30 floors of the mm-hmm. of the summit. And then, of course, if you hit 100, you're fighting on the fucking roof. I haven't done it. I don't know that what happens. Uh, but that sounds like it's going to be silly and yeah. fun. Yeah. And it's literally it's like the movie down. The Raid, like yeah. as a fucking as a game, game level and it's so, or game mode. Yeah, I just I want to take a step back. I've seen enough of the developer videos to know that where they excel with the division two is with this procedural stuff because they have these AI bots that can run things millions of times and find any issues where the terrain isn't working or the AI puts the uh, NPCs all in the corner together and it doesn't make sense or whatever. They discover these issues and then they correct them. And it's not just that, they make sure that they don't reintroduce old issues. They have an AI that plays the base game every time they put out a title update to make sure that it's still beatable because they're not interested in a base game anymore, but they don't want to introduce something that breaks the base game. So, yeah. So like they have some very interesting technology to really pull off a massive open world that is sustainable, that is interesting, that it isn't buggy, that the traversal is good. If your average publisher put out a hundred floor procedurally generated, I'd be like, most of that's probably junk and not fun playing, but (laughs) I actually trust them to make stuff that feels epic but also doable. And they also are brilliant about how difficulty works because I need to talk about that for a minute. You have your usual normal, hard, challenging, heroic, and then legendary if you have a group of four, I think. Uh, I don't know if legendary is available on the summit yet, but you have your normal difficulty tiers, which is going to ramp up enemy health, enemy tactics, I think. Damage. Um, Damage probably uh, because the veterancy of them is going to go up. Um, and so on single player, you can probably go up to challenging if you want a challenge, uh, but you're going to achieve like the goofy state of like putting a full clip into an enemy, mostly headshots and then, and then they finally die. Yeah. So it's not going to be sim simulation at all. Right. But if you play on hard, you can stack all of these modifiers on now up to nine to turn this into a deep simulation that is going to give you rewards that are actually probably on the tier of like challenging or above. So things like turn off the map or don't give me any bullet boxes on the, on the floor. Yeah, like that, one of right? them is called Pistolero, which is uh, you start with no ammo except for your sidearm and, and you only the only source for ammo is enemies who you killed with your sidearm will drop ammo. Then that stacks with uh, ammo hoarders where you have less ammo to start with, uh, less maximum ammo capacity, right? And if you reload, all of the bullets that are left in the clip are lost. So those two things stack together. And now if you're someone who just loves to run around with an LMG and just fire like it's fucking, uh, you know, like you're celebrating, you're going to run out of ammo really fast and you're going to get punished for it. And then you have stuff that affects your skills. You have stuff that affects uh, like just various things. It's really, really nice to see like how they're, how they're doing this. And most of those directives is what they call them uh, will also increase the, the chance that you get the loot that you chose to target for the Uh summit. So you choose a gear brand or a gear set that's special and you get that as your targeted loot. Doesn't mean everything's going to be that, but when you stack on the directives, the probability of getting that stuff increases. 
So it's just like very cool. Like that. What as the game like matures in their life cycle, because it's just like, all right, we get the randomness in the beginning, but now you're playing with people who you have to assume has, you know, most of the content or they're working on specialization. So why make them go over and over and over? Yeah, like, it makes chasing loadouts actually interesting and fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I get why they don't do it at the beginning. I wish more, you know, companies would just say like, yeah. Let's make it so that you kind of work for the loot that you want to get and not this randomized loot, or at least yeah. ways to make it. So They've had targeted loot for a long time. It's just that it was tied to an area and it was resetting every once in a while. So you'd have to go, okay, which place has the gear that I want today or which mission has the gear that I want today. But yeah, I now just go summit, to the tower every time. You just yeah. target it. And you can even change so your targeted loot every like <laughs> 10 floors or something like that. You have the option to play uh, with I, all of your difficulty settings, including I think, the... I think I might relapse into the division after. Oh boy! Uh, Let me know. Yeah. I I do love when they yeah. centralize their gameplay into just one place, and yeah. it's just like, well, go here, and you get a different encounter, a different I'll kind of thing. I'll tell you what. If you let's two relapse to get together. On, I'm I'm going with you. I'll go oh with you. yeah. This means I need it for PC, right? And now I have a PC, so now the excuse of of not playing it is uh, out of the question. Damn right. But that's all I've got for that relapse. All right. The time so, is any to, to we talked about a lot of stuff. We did. We covered a lot of ground. <laughs> There's a lot to good. to look into. And I think I added that um that Rachel Foster game to my Steam list when you talked about it last week. So Oh cool. Uh, right. if it does go on sale, I'll definitely look into it. All right. Cool, cool. Cool. All right. All right. Talk to you. On later that note, now. I guess we'll see you guys in the next episode. We are on the socials. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>